Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Blatherings, the podcast that shines a light on the curious, shadowy and often magical history of the Scottish Borderlands. Today, um, along with Mary, we are joined uh, by Rhiannon, one of our occasional contributors. So I'm looking forward to this as it's time for our year-end special which we're calling Midwinter Magic. So, of course, we'll touch on Christmas and New Year, or Hogmanay, as we like to call it in Scotland. So, let's get on with the show. Mary, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Doug? Not too bad. Um, and I'm not quite in the Christmas spirit yet, but we'll get there. Oh, really? Rhiannon, good to see you. Good to see you guys. Glad I'm back. Now, Mary, would I be right in thinking that because Rhiannon has joined us today, we're going to be looking at things like the pagan origins of Christmas and Hogmandag, the (laughs) Hogmanay. Would I be right in thinking that? (laughs) We're going to be looking at all things magical around winter solstice. What a great way to end the the year, yeah? yeah? And and what's peculiar, particular to the borders about this magical time of the year. Because when I think of, of, of Christmas in Scotland, or in fact here in, in the borders, nothing strikes me as particularly borderish about Christmas time. No, there's nothing that I'm aware of that's particular to the borders about Christmas or, uh, or Hogmanay, but midwinter, the winter solstice, that's a whole other story, and yeah, we've got lots yeah. of stories. So I'm, I'm only going to be asking a few questions today. We're not going to be talking about the two Christmases I spent near the Turkish-Syrian border when I worked with the Turkish government. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be talking about the one Christmas I spent in Tampa, Florida when I lived in America, which was at a barbecue by a swimming pool. Oh, wow. <laughs> All very non-traditional. Yeah. But we are going to delve a little bit into the magic and mystery of the end of year. Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, well, move let's, on let's, and, and let's think about our, Christmas. does Christmas have pagan roots? Absolutely, Christmas has pagan roots. Um, and interestingly, about 10 years ago, the Pope, not the current Pope, the previous Pope, I think, put out a statement, and I still don't know why he did it, but he put out a statement saying that you could not disentangle Christmas from its pagan roots. Uh-huh. And half the Catholics around the world lost their minds I over bet. this, but he was absolutely correct. We think of Christmas trees and holly wreaths and things like that. Oh, it's German, it comes from Prince Albert, it's very Germanic, da 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 And it is true, but that's because it has pagan roots from the Germanic tribes. Yes. The north of Europe, anybody that has ever been to lovely Scotland or lovely Germany or any of these places knows that by the middle of the winter, we haven't got daylight past about three o'clock in the afternoon. Indeed. And so our pagan ancestors took one look at this and went, oh, flip. Everything's going dark, everything's dying off, you know, the crops, the fields are bare. And so what they did was they brought in green boughs, they brought in holly wreaths and and fir trees as a form of sympathetic magic to sort of ward against the darkness that was outside. Ah, And they did this round about the solstice on the 21st where they had lots of other celebrations. I'm sure uh, Rhiannon will be able to tell us about that a little bit more. But um, they, they brought this in because that was when the year magically turned and the light started to come back so it was only when christianity pitches up and christianity is one of these religions where it's very good at doing what's known as syncretism what it does is it looks at something and it thinks right that's wrong our religion's right and it flattens whatever it can Uh 
But if it finds a festival it can't flatten, what it does is it subverts it. So originally, the original church wasn't quite sure when Christ was born. And the original date was around about September. That was a little bit close to Halloween. We talked about Halloween before, so they didn't quite like that. So they moved it, and a few folk did a few more calculations. I don't know, on the back of a fag packet or a, <laughs> or something. I'm not quite, not quite sure how they worked it out. But they, they decided, decided it up. Yeah, they basically <laughs> made it up. And they looked at the fact that in Northern Europe you had this thing of this winter solstice, the fact that it was the turning of the year, and so they thought that that would be a significant time for Christ to have been born. So they sort of said, well, you could not really have it. We don't want to have it actually on the 21st because all the pagans will just say it's ours. So we'll move it a few days forward. Mm-hmm. And they moved it on, and that's why they did that. So that's why Christmas ends up around about the 25th. Um, and you get these series of festivals around that time because you'll notice in cultures that aren't Christian there are festivals around the 21st because it is the turning yes, of the year. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's it's very much a mishmash. And although Prince Albert, when he's married to Queen Victoria, brings in all of the uh, all of the green stuff from Germany, the fir trees and the holly wreaths, and, you know, you get Dickens and you get snow and you get all these sorts of things, they're actually very, very modern traditions. For what is a festival that's been celebrated for probably about 10,000 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, even friends. more modern than that, um, the whole red Christmas is from Coca-Cola. Absolutely, yes. I knew somebody would do the Coca-Cola thing. Yeah, it's... <laughs> consumerism just changed it so much. And I, I used to work for a woman who was a very lovely lady, very Christian. Mm. And even she said to me, she was like, I think that Christmas is in the middle of winter because we need something to celebrate. It's dark. It's awful. There's places in the world where it's dark for months on end. And you just need something to celebrate in that time. And bright colours and fancy lights and trees inside is very happy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the the Hindu festival of Diwali. It's about light. It's about realising that the world has turned to darkness but is about to turn to lightness again. So, yeah. I suppose that's uh, the solstice as well because it's the shortest day from then on. Exactly. It's coming into the light again. Yeah, and it's also on a practical term because what you do at Halloween, as we discussed earlier, is you slaughter all of your beasts that you can't afford to feed over the winter, but you now know you're sort of halfway. Mm. And so you're thinking, okay, now we can have a feast because we know we've made it halfway, we can make it for the rest of the way. So yeah, all of these things come together. But it's also, what I find really interesting is that Halloween's a time for ghost stories because that's when the world of the living and the world of the dead are very close and mm. you can pass between the two. At at the winter solstice, it's a time for stories about magic. And that I find fascinating, that because it's the magic of the year turning again, you tell these magic stories. And that's where in the borders we've got a million and one stories about magic, because in the borders we have wizards and all sorts. Borders magic, particular people and stories. Could you expand on that a little bit? I'm only aware of Thomas the Rhymer. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) We have Thomas there. Of course we do. I'm talking about Michael Scott, the wizard, who split the Eldens in three. You surely know that legend. Trimontium. Now, (laughs) Michael Scott was a real actual person. He was a very learned man. He was a scientist. 
he was an astrologer. And of course, this is when astrology was part of science. So science um, had astrology and had alchemy. Alchemy gave us the, the early roots of chemistry. Astrology split in two. Part of it becomes astronomy. The other part stays as astrology. And Michael Scott, like a lot of learned men, went right the way across Europe learning. And he ends up in the court of the Holy Roman Emperor as his chief science advisor. But he was a very good astrologer and he would cast the runes and he would see what the planets were doing and how the planets aligned for the politics of the time. Which is fine. Now this is about the late 12th, beginning early century, early 13th century. And then he dies. And a few years after that, Dante Alighieri writes his Divine Comedies. And Dante Alighieri wrote this for a lot of political reasons because if you read the one about the, the uh, hell version of the Divine yeah, Comedies, yeah. there's all sorts of real people that he shoves in hell in the various different circles. And he puts Michael Scott in the eighth circle of hell amongst the necromancers and the sorcerers. So although Michael Scott is a real person, even within just after his lifetime, he's already been thought of as a sorcerer and a wizard. And then, of course, he split the Eldens. There are various versions of the legend. So we'll start with the, the legend that most people think they know. They think that Michael Scott was fighting with a devil or fighting with a demon. Some versions have it as a dragon. And he threw his staff at the demon to, to defeat him and he split the Eldens into three. That's the version that's come down to us, but that's not the original legend. The original legend's much more fun. <laughs> How can you throw a spear once? Uh, oh, sorry, staff once, and it splits in three? Because it's magic. He's a wizard. It's magical. You're a wizard. Exactly. <laughs> He's a wizard. <laughs> so actually, the, the original story is that he and a and a demon are fighting with each other, and they're arguing with each other as to which one is more powerful. <laughs> And the, like men. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. They might have been comparing things and I couldn't possibly think what. But the demon says, I can change the physical landscape. That's how powerful I am. And he splits the Eldens into three. And Michael Scott says, oh, well, you know, fair enough. But how about if I can challenge you to do something you can't do? And the demon thinks, whatever. And Michael Scott says, okay. He says, I challenge you to make rope out of sea salt and the demon says what he says you know because i mean they're wizards and demons so they can see all the way to the berwickshire coast and he says i challenge you to make rope out of sea. and of course the demon can't and michael scott banishes him from the borders forevermore and that's the original legend but what's really interesting is going back to the christian church the christian church find out this legend in the borders and they do not like it one little bit <laughs> and so they change it so what they do is they say he wasn't fighting a demon, he was fighting the devil. And it wasn't the devil that split the Eldens, it was Michael Scott with the power of the Lord in his hand. And the bit about the sea salt, well, we'll just forget about that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you actually speak to people who know about, uh, or who've heard this legend, they very seldom talk about the sea salt bit, because most of the borders is inland. But everybody sort of knows the Eldens bit, because you can physically see the Eldens. So it's really interesting how that that magical story, whichever version of the magical story you have, has actually changed. But Michael Scott was one of the wizards we had in the borders. He wasn't the only one. We had others. Is this where Thomas the Rhymer might come in? No. No. We haven't got to Thomas the Rhymer <laughs> yet. <laughs> You're determined. You're quite determined to get him in. Well, that's the Rhymer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about Merlin. 
Oh. Aha. All the way up here? Yes, all the way up here, thank you very much. Now, Camelot I'm... and the Court of King Arthur is some, some idea that has moved all over the UK, uh, in my yes. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Arthur's seat, just in Edinburgh, for example. There you go. Uh, yeah. I used to go to Tim Tadgill in Cornwall. And in Cornwall, there. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the place that has the strongest sort of you know, Merlin and Arthur and all these sorts of things. I think that's where most people would put court. But the thing with wizards is wizards can move everywhere. And Merlin came up to the borders one time and he was mm. walking about the borders when a snake came towards him. Merlin didn't like snakes. And again, he had a staff, just like Michael Scott. They always have staffs. Staff, yeah, indeed. And he threw the staff at the snake and it was an adder. And it hit it right on the head and the adder divided into two which is why we have a black adder and a white adder river in the borders. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The black adder yeah, the and black the white adder. adder. Yeah. Now, boringly scientifically, this is actually where adders split. Further north from the borders, adders are lighter coloured than adders in the south because of Scottish snows. But that's got nothing to do with anything. It's everything to do with Merlin. And magic. And magic. Of course it is. I mean, one of the one of the stories that was told about Michael Scott for midwinter was that when he had his midwinter feast, wherever he was in the world, the great f- the foods would be on silver and gold plates from Spain and France that would dance through the air to wherever he was. Ooh, and that was his midwinter magic. feast. That's magic. That's magic in the borders. Fairy lights. Yeah. It's fairy lights in trees. Sounds very Christmassy. Yes, indeed. See, everything that Christmas has, it's pinched. It has pinched from <laughs> magic. Absolutely, yeah. I was uh, looking up some stories for this, and although it's not very Scottish, I was looking at the Yule Lads. Oh, the I Yule Lads are brilliant. Them. Tell us all about them, Rhiannon. Well, I, I'm not a, um expert in the matter at all, but I just love the mischief of it. It sounds like they're just... Just little elf lads who just like to cause mischief before Christmas, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You probably know more about it than I do. Oh, I love I love the Yule lads. <laughs> what, there are 13 of them? Yes. My favourite one is the creepiest sounding is like the meat hook one. And then all he does is he just steals some meat. He doesn't kill anyone. He yep. doesn't do anything mean. Yep. They get progressively worse, don't they? Because there's the there's the window peeper, and yeah. he looks through the window at you. And there's the spoon licker, the spoon um, lickers, and cool. there's the the pot rattler, <laughs> the pot rattler. And it's just a series of household pranks that get worse and worse and worse That's and worse. The door worse. slammer. Oh, the door slammer! That's yeah, I love the door slammer. <laughs> Cassie's joining in the background yeah. to tell us <laughs> the dog job. barker. Or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I love the Yule lads. And again, their their mother, wasn't their mother a, a, a witch? And sometimes she's seen as a black cat? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah so they're, they're, yeah, the Yule lads are really interesting. I like the Yule lads. And again, that's that's pagan, that's magic. It's Yule. And yeah, it's, and it's as Yule. A, Yule is another day for um, winter solstice as well. Mm. And now the Yule log... Is a big thing. Yeah, it's another it's another pagan element. Yeah, yeah. it's another pagan element that, that Christmas has co-opted and decided... Because if you think about Christmas, it's about the birth of Christ. 
that's it. That's all they've got. I'm not having a go at Christians here, and if we have any Christian listeners, hello, welcome, and all the rest of it. But it's not much of a celebration you're giving us, whereas all the fun things, mm-hmm. the lights, the food, the, the feasting, party. the stories, the party, the decorations, they're all coming from the pagan background, and they're coming from the magical background, rather than uh, from from Christmas itself. So yeah, I love the Yule Lads, they're great fun. And I love things like, um, we have Krampus. Uh, and Krampus is sort of Central European Austrian. And it's the anti-Christmas. If you don't behave, Krampus will come and get you. And Krampus gives you one heck of a, you know, Krampus will pitch up. And if you're not behaving, Krampus... kidnaps you. Yep, eventually they, uh, yeah, yeah, Kramp- yeah. Krampus has a, a birch twigs mm. and they will beat you. <laughs> so you get scratched. And then if you still haven't behaved, they will come. And instead of leaving presents for the children, we'll take the children away in a sack, never to be seen again. And if you think of it, now we have Santa who has his nice list and his naughty list, but it doesn't matter what you do, you still get presents from Santa, he's a bit of a wuss. Whereas Krampus actually, Krampus says, if you don't behave, I'll kidnap you. And he does! (laughs) He actually does! So yeah, so we have all of these different magical elements that come together at that midwinter period, including Thomas the Rhymer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you we were determined. You were determined to have Thomas the Rhymer. So Indeed. tell me, what do you know about Thomas the Rhymer? Not a lot, which was why I was determined to get him in here. Oh, yeah. All right, okay. And as a lover of limericks, anybody who's called Thomas the Rhymer is fine by me. Yeah. So. Thomas the Rhymer sat under a tree near Melrose and the Queen of Fairyland went riding past on her horse uh, with the tinkling of bells and Thomas the Rhymer was amazed. And at first, again, see the Christian Church gets in on this, some of the later versions say that at first he thought she was an angel. Did he hang? He knew fine she was the Queen of Fairies. And she has long, long blonde hair in some uh, some versions. She has very green eyes. And she has a long sort of silken greeny grey gown that isn't made of any normal material. And he says to, she says to Thomas Lemmer, follow me down to Fairyland. Now everybody knows you're not supposed to go to Fairyland because you'll never come back. Don't come back. But when the Queen of Fairyland says that to you, you can't really resist. And so he follows her down to Fairyland, where he stays for seven years. And then he begs her to let him go back to the mortal world. And she says, OK, you can go back to the mortal world, but you're going to take something with you to remember us by. And what do you want? And he chose the gift of prophecy. And so Thomas Reimer comes back. He's not quite a wizard, but he has this gift of prophecy that he can... He can look into people's eyes and see where they may go and what mm. they might get up to. And this is why you get all the poems about Thomas the Rhymer and what he did and what he saw and what he said. So again, it's very magical with Thomas the Rhymer. Thomas the Rhymer sat under a tree. It was the queen of the fairyland he did see. I can't think of any other line at this yeah, moment. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And, and, but that's the thing about the borders. The borders has a lot of magic involved yes, in it. Yes. There's lots of fairy rings in the borders. There's lots of places in the borders that have fairy, Fernihurst, yeah. uh, just along from where we are just now. A lot of places connected with the fairies. And, it's, and I think it's fascinating that even though we're now in allegedly a very rational world, um, 
magic is still there. Now, most people will say, oh, no, no, well, you know, they might watch, they might watch a magic movie with their kids at Christmas. But there's actually more magic in your lives than, than we think of it. Because think of something as boring as voting for a political party. People will say, oh, I'm voting for the Labour Party or the Conservative Party or SNP or Green because, and then they'll say, I believe their policies are the best policies. Yes. I mean, none of us, has anybody ever read one of the election manifestos that these parties put out? Of course we don't. And there's uh, one family who do, and oh, that's you it. That's it. You know, we get the stuff through the post and what do we do? We put it straight into the recycling. Nobody reads what they have to say. We don't listen to their speeches. They come on the telly with their political broadcast and you say, oh, it's time to make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't actually listen to the rational arguments of Here's our economic policy on there. Yeah. We think because we believe it's the Scottish National Party or we believe it's the Conservative Party. And what belief if it's not magic? Indeed, and we have in linguistic terms, we now have uh, this, this phrase, unicorn thinking, mm, when it that. comes to some of the manifestos of various political parties. So again, we go back to that. What is fascinating, uh, I'm going back to weeks ago when we, we talked about Halloween, is this understanding and underpinning of transformation mm-hmm. in, in, in people's acceptance of the physical world uh, around us, whereas Definitely. today you often feel people devoted to the status quo and, and neglecting the transformative uh, yeah. aspects of life. Exactly. It's um, just like the immediacy of everything nowadays. Yeah. Even in the supermarkets, we don't eat food that is seasonal now. We import it from other places. Mm-hmm. It's like you're forgetting the way the world works, the way the seasons change, the way you're connected to these, air quotes, magical things. And mm. yeah. um, I think that's quite fascinating. And also that with the Hogmanay and New Year, it's the change of the, the Roman calendar. Yeah. That, so it's just that flipping over of a new year. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, suddenly yeah, yeah. everything's new. Everything's uh, this year could be different. New year, new me. Yeah, um, new year resolutions. Resolutions, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that kind of thing. It's just that that tying in with the calendar and the seasons, the way light changes, things like that. It's funny how we ignore them until we get to party with them. Yeah. 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 I use that as a, talking of New Year resolutions, I use that as a language teaching tool when I'm working with people and in terms of using New Year's resolutions if I'm trying to work on the difference between will and going to. Ah, uh, future yeah. forms when develop a plan or an intention and, and, and so on. Yeah. But I, do, I find it fascinating that we have, as you say, we've lost... We've lost our connection to the natural rhythms of the natural world and, as you say, you know, eating seasonal food and and doing these sorts of things. And yet we, you know, we'll say we're scientific and then we will believe in the strangest things. Yeah. Our pagan forefathers had a magical belief, but it was a magical belief in the natural world. Yes. We've lost that. And so, so now we end up with beliefs that are very odd, that are a form of magic, if you like, but they're a very weird form of magic. Yeah. So that we believe that a virus can't kill us, or we believe that a vaccine will kill us. So it's, it's, it's a strange way that magic has now morphed into various different beliefs that are really odd. Our pagan ancestors could not 
explain the world. In yeah. fact, they didn't try to. They weren't stupid like us. They actually didn't try to explain the natural world. They just lived with the natural with world. Yeah. And so they would use magic as a way to explain what was happening. And I think that's what it is today. Is that it's things the are, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Things yeah. are changing so fast. So people use magic as a way to explain things mm. that they can't otherwise do. But unlike our pagan ancestors who lived with the world and lived with nature and lived in harmony I'm sure they weren't perfect I'm sure they fell out like anybody else but mostly they lived alone <laughs> whereas we're in such a binary world that either you believe the vaccine is going to keep you safe or you believe the vaccine is going to kill you and there's no in between there's no there's no softness there in the magic it's very much yes or no yeah. black and white nuance is gone yeah and that's that's where I think there's a difference in the way people believe in magic now. Although there are a lot of people out and about there who still believe in magic the way our pagan ancestors did. And they're always the quiet ones that don't bother anybody, which is, I think, a curious note. You know, I'm, I'm not aware of any wars that have ever been started by the pagans in the world. There might have been. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm not aware of any. Mary, um, we've talked a lot about magic stories sympathetic magic this is much more interesting to me than watching for some reason when i was a teenager at christmas time the film was the great escape with steve mcqueen oh yes this was the, the, the seasonal favorite um. or it's a wonderful life and in germany you will know they have this wonderful at the end of of, of, of the year dinner for one oh, and people cling to these traditions but i thought it might be a good idea today, as we've touched on that and talked about that in detail. Can you, from your catalogue of stories, perhaps, can we end with a story? We can, that has, it roots, has its roots in the, yes. in the I, good old borders? I can explain to you why the trees lose their leaves That would be winter. useful. <laughs> are we all sitting comfortably, boys yes, and girls? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Once oh, Cassie's oh, oh, oh. just rolled on her back right, to, to take go. in this story. So once upon a time, there was a little robin who turned up at the edge of a wood. And it was a huge big wood, mostly deciduous trees, but with some pine trees at the edge. And three little boys were playing and they were, they were throwing snowballs. It was the middle of winter and mm -hmm. all the trees were all green with their leaves, even though it was the middle of winter. Three little boys throwing snowballs and one of them threw one that had a little stone in it and it hit the robin and broke his wing. Ah, <gasps> crack. The little boys were really scared and really sorry about what they'd done, but they ran away. So the little robin thought, oh, I'm going to have to rest up for the winter. What am I going to do? So he hopped a little way into the wood and he hopped up to the grandfather oak tree, who was the biggest tree in the wood. He ran the wood and he said, Grandfather Oak, I, I, I've hurt my wing. I need to rest up for the winter. May I rest in your, in your leaves? And then Grandfather Oak said, who's that chattering away? Oh, you. No, you waking me up in the morning. Go away. Get lost. Little Robin said, oh, but, but, he went, no, no, go get. He said, oh. So he hopped over a little to a, to a sweet chestnut tree. And he went, oh, sweet chestnut tree, my wings hurt. Can I rest in your leaves and maybe have a little nibble in your chestnuts to, to get me through the winter? And the chestnut tree said, absolutely not. Come here, pecking at me. Go on, get lost, get. Little Robin didn't quite know what to do. And it's okay, it's okay, Rihanna. It's, it all goes good. It's got a happy ending, boys and girls. <laughs> so the little Robin wasn't quite sure what to do until he heard a voice behind him saying, I'll take care of you, Robin. And he turned around, it was the pine tree. The pine tree that was on the edge of it. 
and the robin said, oh, oh, thank you very much. And he hopped forward and the pine tree leant down its branches and picked up the little robin, nestled it in a bough of the tree and said, you can eat my pine kernels and I'll keep you warm and cosy over the winter. And the other pine trees all sort of gathered round to take care of little robin. Then the north wind woke up that morning. The north wind lived way, way up in the highlands of Scotland and the tops of the mountains. But she could see exactly what was going on all over. And she decided it was time she went down to the borders to sort things out. And so she started to blow. And she came down from the mountain tops and she blew. And she came through Glencoe and she blew. And she crossed the Tay and she crossed the Forth and she came all the way down to the borders. And she blew into the wood. Straight up to Grandfather Oak and said, How are you, Grandfather Oak? And he said, I'm very well, thank you. North Wind, nice to see you. Even though you are Queen of the Winter and it makes life hard for us all, it's lovely to see you. And she said, oh, Are you well? And he said, Yes, I have my children, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren. She went, Oh, uh huh. She turned to the chestnut tree and said, How are you? And the chestnut tree said, Oh, I, I'm fine. I've had a good crop of chestnuts this year. Oh, that's good. And she looked at the other trees, the, the birch tree and the elm and the ash. None of whom had tried to help the little robin. And she went, uh-huh, uh-huh. And the north wind turned to the pine trees that were standing to the side and said, how are you? And they all bowed low before the mm. queen of the winter because she knew who she was. And she said, yeah, and I saw what you did to the robin. And then she drew herself up and she started to blow and she started to blow and she started to blow and she blew all the leaves off the oak tree all the leaves off the chestnut tree and the birch and the elm and the ash and all of them. And they went, oh, please stop, stop, stop. We'll freeze over the winter. You can't take our leaves. You can't take our leaves. We're going to freeze over the winter. And as the last single leaf fell off the chestnut, off the oak tree and landed in front of her, and she said, then you should know better. She turned to the pine trees and they were terrified. They thought they were going to lose it. And she went, no, no, no. You keep your leaves for what you did. And you always will. She turned back to the oak tree. She said, but I'm going to freeze over the winter. I said, yeah, you will freeze over the winter. But, but, and she said, when my sister comes in spring, your leaves will come back. But mark me and mark me well, all of you that did not help that little robin. Every year you will lose your leaves. And every year you will freeze through the winter. Oh. And that, boys and girls, is magic. No, that is wonderful. That's a cautionary yeah, good Samaritan tale, isn't it? Going back to your earlier point. Can we end this instalment with a little question and answer for Rhiannon? You mentioned Rhiannon earlier, the Coca-Cola mm -hmm. argument. Yes. Yeah. Why does Santa Claus wear a red suit? It's very flattering to his rosy cheeks and pale complexion. Mm. He's a communist. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Why does he have a beard and long hair? Oh, no. He's, uh, a, he's a pacifist. Oh! Oh, um, like a dirty hippie. Uh-huh. And what's in that pipe that he's smoking? The devil's lettuce. Perhaps. Oh! Mary, thank you very much for You're that wonderful welcome. story. What a lovely ending. And we can all look forward to... <laughs> The end of this year. Yes. Thanks a again. A happy midwinter to all. A happy happy midwinter. midwinter.